Well, good morning, everybody. Wow, I just, I just got to say uh, a big thanks to Nash, the worship team, and leading us to the throne of grace this morning. Is that awesome or what? And what we're reminded of as a result is he's coming soon. Jesus Christ is coming. And we get to look forward to that and are anticipating that with great fervor. But I got to ask you a question. Throughout the course of your week, the circumstances that come at you, maybe even on your drive-in this morning, have you become disappointed with life? Disappointed with what's going on in our world, our country, our area, your life, your home, your circumstances? Well, my desire this morning and hope this morning is that after we've gone through God's Word this morning and we've continued in our heart of worship, that we would be, con- we would be encouraged because of what we just sang about. Jesus Christ is coming. And I got to warn you, uh, this morning is going to be a bittersweet message, uh, much like what John describes when the angel gave to him in, in Revelation chapter, him, this, uh, chapter 10, this little book. And he said, eat this. And he ate the little book, and it was sweet to taste. But then it was bitter to the stomach because he was going to prophesy of the judgment to come. And that's really what this morning is going to be like. It's going to be sweet in that we get to worship and praise God because we know what's coming and how it's all going to end and that we can be conquerors and are conquerors in Christ. But it's also bitter because we know what's coming by way of judgment. We've been in the book of uh, Revelation uh, over the past several weeks, and today we land in chapters 15 and 16. So I want to ask you to go ahead and turn to Revelation 15. Uh, If you don't have your Bible with you, there are some in the back. Uh, We're actually going to be reading uh, from those uh, uh, passages without having them on the screen. There will be other passages of Scripture that I'll put up on the screen, so you don't need to turn there. So you can just camp out in Revelation chapter 15. Now, where we're at now is we're at the final wrath of God on sinners. At this point in the tribulation, John sees the seven angels with seven bold judgments that are going to be poured out, and they're poised for action. This wicked world is about to drink of the wine of the wrath of God. But before these angels pour out these judgments, there's this interlude, this sweet interlude in chapter 15. Before sending the third woe, God once again reassures his faithful people. I want to pray, God. I pray that you would use these next few moments as we look into your word to encourage us, remind us of who we are in you. I also am asking that if there are people with us today or that will hear today or days following that have not yet become a follower of you, a worshiper of you, that you would use your word today and the message today to move towards that end and to become a follower of Jesus Christ. Pray and ask these things in your name. Amen. Years ago, my wife and I had the opportunity uh, to watch the fireworks on the 4th of July on Long Island. Long Island is, um, you know, it's, a, it's not a huge island, but there are 6 million plus people that live on that island. And it is an incredible place to see the, the fireworks. So she and I and a group of people were crowded amongst this unbelievable mass of humanity. We literally were walking this way, just crowded amongst these people. And as we're looking out, as the sun 
It, by the way, it was a clear night. You could see the cityscape. The, the, the sky was beautiful. But in our foreground was the sound. We all here know what we're talking about when we say the sound, the water. And in the water, there were a bunch of barges out there that had all the artillery, as it were, for the fireworks show. And I've been to fireworks shows, as you have. We've experienced them here. And typically what happens is they start off kind of like this. You've got to bang here and there. And, but what you're really waiting for is the what? The finale. So I'm thinking it's about to start, it's about to start, and, it gets, and it's about to get going. And I was shocked. Because the finale, or the beginning, was not like the finale, the, or the beginning, I thought, was the finale. It starts, and it's just like the Niagara Falls, in my full panorama vision, just And as it just rolls, it's like fire falling from the skies. All, as far as I could see in my panoramic view, all these people cheering, the reflections of the fire on the water, and then about a third of the way through this thing, I'm thinking to myself, okay, how is there going to be a, I mean, how can the finale beat this? And so we get to the finale, and it was overwhelming. It was loud. The crowd was cheering. The, the brilliance of the light and the sound was just almost overwhelming. And, it, and at times, while I'm just feeling overwhelmed, I'm kind of glancing at other people's reactions, and I'm seeing the jaw drops. I'm seeing the eyes glazed over. I'm seeing tears coming from people. But you're also knowing that there are dogs barking in fear. There are children crying because they don't know what's going on. And then it's going on. But when it comes to a close, it's like it's abruptly stopped. The people roar and cheer for a little bit. The smoke is going by. You can hardly even see the, the cityscape anymore. And then we leave. That basically frames in the seven years of tribulation. When it hits, it hits hard. It doesn't stop. But the, the horror of it all gets even worse at the very end. What we're looking at today are the bold judgments. So if you're taking notes today, the interlude of sweet blessing is chapter 15. But then you have the finality of the bitter judgments of 16. The scene that we're going to see is the interlude to the bold judgments. In other words, the interlude, the introduction, or the setup of what's to come. And we see that in chapter 15. And we'll call that the sweet songs of the victors. Look at verse 1. Then I saw another sign in heaven, great and amazing, seven angels with seven plagues, which are the last, for with them... The wrath of God is finished. So we're now nearing the very end of the great tribulation. We've seen the seven seals of God's judgment. We've seen the six trumpets of God's judgment. We've seen the activities of the beast and the false prophet and its worshipers. We've seen the worshipers of the Antichrist. Let me remind you of what they were saying in Revelation 13, verse 4. They were saying this, they worshiped the dragon, for he had given his authority to the beast. And they worshiped the beast, saying, Who is like the beast, and who can fight against it? Contrasted with the worshipers of Christ in heaven. In chapter 7, verse 9, we read, And after this, I looked. 
This is John speaking. And behold, a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands and crying out with a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. What a contrast. Worshippers of the beast, worshippers of the King of kings and Lord of lords. And they're in two different places. They're before the throne of God and they're on the planet. But these people that are referred to in this interlude, uh, verse 2, we'll read that, they did not cooperate with the satanic system and receive the mark of the beast. They were unable to buy or sell. John sees these tribulation saints who had overcome the beast and his system. These people were the ones who loved not their lives unto death. And prior to being killed, they depended upon the Lord for everything, their daily bread. Some of them were some of them were killed, but all of them practiced faith and patience. Think about that. That's us too. Regardless of our circumstances, we're practicing faith and perseverance. Let us see them in verse 2. And I saw what appeared to be a sea of glass mingled with fire, and, and also those who had conquered the beast and its image and the number of its name, standing beside the sea of glass with harps of God in their hands. And they sing the song of Moses, the servant of God, and the song of the Lamb, saying, We'll stop there. This is very reminiscent of what we read in Exodus when God delivers his people out of the bondage of Egypt, takes them to the Red Sea. Now think about this. He has delivered them, but how did he deliver them? It's through the plagues that came upon Egypt, which pictures the world system, and upon Pharaoh and his armies. Finally, they are let go. They are delivered, and they're in the wilderness. But they learn that they are under pursuit now, they're under pursuit by Pharaoh and the armies, and they're going to be killed, and they become very, very fearful. They're hemmed in now, and they're afraid, and they're saying to Moses, Moses, it would be better if we just lived in Egypt. Did you bring us out to this wilderness to die? So they're full of fear. So God gives instruction to Moses to give to the people to give them some hope. And here it is in Exodus chapter 14, verse 13, we read this. And Moses said to the people, fear not. Stand firm and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will work for you today. For the Egyptians whom you see today, you shall never see again. The Lord will fight for you, and you have only to be silent. The Lord said to Moses, why do you cry to me? Tell the people of Israel to go forward. This has for years been an encouraging portion of Scripture for me. Because it is, as it were, almost like a, a, a thought process or a, or a formula for me to think about when I'm going through a difficult time. The first is fear not. Why do I fear not? Because I am trusting in him. I have nothing to fear because he is the one who is leading me. I place my faith and trust in him regardless of my circumstances. And then stand firm. Stand firm in my faith. Stand firm in his promises. Stand firm in the principles and promises of God. And then see God work. 
See, they were in a position to where they wanted, could scatter, run, fight back, whatever. I don't know what to do. Fear not. Stand firm. See God work the salvation of the Lord. But then he says this, move forward. Faith is not a passive thing. Faith is an active thing. When we walk in faith, we walk moving forward, trusting in him, obeying what he tells us to do, doing what he says to do. So as we step forward, as they did, they stepped through on dry ground after he parted the Red Sea. They get to the other side. That's victorious in and of itself. But they still have an enemy behind them that could take the very same passageway to come take them out. But as they turned back and they watched, the waters came in as the armies and the enemy came in, and the enemy and the armies were destroyed. When that happened, what did they do? They sang a song of praise. In, in this song, we'll read a couple of verses. We find this in Exodus chapter 15. We'll read the first two verses of this song. It says, Then Moses and the people of Israel sang the song to the Lord, saying, I will sing to the Lord, for he has triumphed gloriously. The horse and his rider he has thrown into the sea. The Lord is my strength and my song, and he has become my salvation. This is my God, and I will praise him, my Father's God, and I will exalt him. They sang this after judgment came upon the armies. What a mixture of praise and bitterness to see what just happened. So they sang the song of Moses. So when you have these tribulation saints that are before the throne of God, they're referring to the very, what would be our future. They're referring to the judgment that's coming and has come, and they're praising God. And they sing this song of Moses that we just uh, did the introductory verses to. But they also sang the song of the Lamb, verse 4. And they sang... Great and amazing are your deeds, O Lord God, the Almighty. Just and true are your ways, O King of the nations, who will not fear, O Lord, and glorify your name. For you alone are holy. All nations will come and worship you, for your righteous acts have been revealed. Then we, the scene changes, the scene out of the temple. We read in verse 5, after this, I looked, and the sanctuary of the tent of the witness in heaven was opened. And out of the sanctuary came the seven angels with the seven plagues, clothed in pure bright linen with golden satches around their chests. And one of the four living creatures gave to the angels the seven golden bowls full of the wrath of God who lives forever and ever. And the sanctuary was filled with smoke from the glory of God and from his power, and no one could enter the sanctuary until the seven plagues of the seven angels were finished. It's about to happen. But one of the things that we've learned as we've gone through the book of Revelation is that God continues to demonstrate his merciful warnings and messages of redemptions. Just before these bold judgments, we read about these three angels that give messages of warnings. We looked at this briefly last week, but let me remind you. In Revelation chapter 14, verse 6, we read this. Then I saw another angel flying directly overhead. Imagine that. 
with an eternal gospel to proclaim to those who dwell on earth, to every nation and tribe and language and people. And he said with a loud voice, Fear God, give him glory, because the hour of his judgment has come, and worship him who made heaven and earth, the sea and the springs of water. You have a choice. And then we won't, we won't look at the, the sections of Scripture, but as, as you continue, there are two more angels that come right after this first angel. The second angel proclaimed, he pronounced the judgment to those who would reject the message of the first angel. And then the third angel is the one who pronounces the damnation. Humanity has always had warnings throughout Scripture and warnings throughout history. Hebrews chapter 2, verse 3, we read this. How shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? It was declared at first by the Lord, and it was attested to by us and those who heard. You read a little bit further in Hebrews in chapter 3, verse 8. He says, harden not your heart. What is a, if you harden your heart a little, and then it gets hardened again, circumstances that I don't like, hardened again. There comes a point in time to where we just simply have a hard heart. When we get to that point, we can hear truth, we can hear love, we can hear warnings, and we reject it because our heart is just simply hard. And the cry of the writer of Hebrews and the cry of the Holy Spirit is, harden not your heart. So now we get there. We're now at the bitter cries of the blasphemers. So we add in chapter 15, the sweet songs of the victors, and now in chapter 16, the bitter cries of the blasphemers. Verse 1, then I heard a loud voice from the temple telling the seven angels, go and pour out on the earth the seven bowls of the wrath of God. It's time. Out of the seventh trumpet comes the seven bold judgments. These rapid fire, successive death blows come with deadly force. It's the finale, as it were. If you remember, with the sealed judgments, the devastation came in fourths. The trumpet judgments, the devastation came in thirds. The bold judgments, the devastations are global. There's one exception. We'll see that here in a little bit when we move through the bowls. Let's look at the first bowl, the judgment. Harmful and painful sores. Verse 2. So the first angel went and poured out his bowl on the earth, and harmful and painful sores came upon the people. Which people? Those who bore the mark of the beast and worshipped its image. This, again, is reminiscent of the judgment that came upon Egypt, remember they had boils throughout their bodies and even the magicians couldn't even stand because of the pain that they were undergoing. And what's unique about what's going on here is that these sores, these harmful and painful sores, they're not going to go away. We'll see them again a little bit later with another bold judgment. These are painful sores, the bottom of the feet, the top of the head, and everywhere in between. They're not just visible. They're not just something that we look at and say, that looks painful, and we say, It's just this. No, it's anguishing pain that will not go away. I I can tell that I'm going in and out, right? Um, So, 
Those that have not yet been martyred, the followers of Jesus Christ during the tribulation period, they will not be receiving these sores. But I can't help but wonder if, if you're a tribulation saint going through the tribulation and then all those that have sores, they know why they have the sore because they're worshiping the beast. But now you become somewhat of a target because you're unaffected. You're in prison. You're unaffected by these sores. Why? Because the God of heaven didn't place them on you and that would cause perhaps another level of rage and a martyrdom that would come upon the tribulation saints because of the envy that's in the heart of one who is receiving the affliction. Second bold judgment, seas of blood. The second angel poured out his bowl into the sea, and it became like the blood of a corpse, and every living thing died that was in the sea. Every living thing, microorganisms, seaweed, uh, all the whales, all the sharks, uh, every living creature in the seas, and it became as blood. The blood that's described as one of a dead man, where the blood has been pool, pooled out due to trauma, and it's coagulating. The sound has become coagulated blood. I was a, a kid years ago living in Canada, and we went on a field trip, and uh, we got to, to the edge of the beach, and the, the doors to the bus opened up, and this putrid odor met us as we were coming off the bus. And it was intensified as we approached the beach only to see a dead whale. The purpose of that field trip, I do not know to this day, but it was gross. And I was overwhelmed. I became nauseous. And just imagine every beast of the ocean. What happens when things in the ocean die, even if it's at the bottom of the ocean? It comes and rises to the surface. This water is no longer drinkable. It's gross. It's putrefying. And it's all the seas. Their drinking water has become the greatest commodity on the planet. Third bowl. The third angel poured out his bowl into the rivers and the springs of water, and they became blood. And I heard the angel in charge of the water say, Just are you, O Holy One, who is and who was, for you brought these judgments. For they have shed the blood of saints and prophets, and you have given them blood to drink. It is what they deserve. This third bold judgment, rivers and springs of blood, is a demonstration, of course, of the vengeance, but vengeance of what? This angel is saying, you shed, they shed people's blood, they slain your people, and so they are now going to drink blood. This is an angel proclaiming this. In Revelation chapter 6, verse 9, we read about some tribulation saints that are now at the throne of God. And we read about it in, in Revelation 6, 9, when we read, When he openeth the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of those who had been slain for the word of God and for the witness they had borne. And these saints cried out with a loud voice, O sovereign Lord, holy and true, how long before you will judge and avenge our blood on those who dwell on the earth. Notice that that was during the seal. That was an earlier point in the tribulation period. They are praying for this vengeance to come. They have brothers and sisters that are still on this planet that are undergoing the persecution of the beast and the Antichrist. 
They're praying for this to be done. God, bring your judgment, and it's actually happening now. And so why do I read that passage? Because of the very next verse. Verse 7, and, not just the angel, and I heard the altar. What's the altar? It's the people we just read of. They said, yes, Lord, God, the Almighty, true and just are your judgments. Fourth bowl. Great heat. Um, the fourth angel poured out his bowl on the sun, and it was allowed to scorch the people with fire. They were scorched by the fierce heat, and they cursed the name of God who had power over these plagues. They did not repent and give him glory. Um, if you have a, a blazing fire, you take a stick, you hold it near the fire, doesn't even have to touch the fire, but because of the intensity of the heat, it ignites. That's scorching heat. It's as if the angel poured out the bowl with fuel that would combust the sun to a greater level of intensity that would just bring about a scorching heat on this planet. The response of the people, obviously, as we read, was that they're mad, they're blaspheming, they're angry. Hebrews refers to this time when, when we, as we read Hebrews 1, verse 10. And you, Lord, laid the foundation of the earth in the beginning, and the heavens are the work of your hands. They will perish, but you remain. They will all wear out like a garment. Peter is more specific when he writes in 2 Peter 3.10, but the day of the Lord will come like a thief, and then the heavens will pass away with a roar, and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved, and the earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed. Fifth bold judgment, darkness. Verse 10 the fifth angel poured out his bowl on the throne of the beast, and its kingdom was plunged into darkness. People gnawed on their tongues in anguish and cursed the God of heaven for their pain and sores. They did not repent of their deeds. This is the one plague that's specific. It's localized. It's not global. It's on the kingdom of this world. It's on the beast, the full system of the beast. It's everything that a follower of the beast or a non-follower of Jesus Christ is hoping in, believing in. They're trusting in the political, the economic, the ways of the world for hope, for comfort, for direction. The kingdom is now plunged into darkness. It's now gone. Um, if you remember the reference to the followers of the beast, they would not repent of their beast. I believe this is in chapter 9. They would not, rep they would not repent of their deeds because they love darkness. Talks about they love the corruption, corruption, thefts. They love the uh, sexual immorality. They loved sorceries. They worshiped the devil. They loved idolatry. It's all those things of the world. They, that's why they wouldn't give up the worshiping of the beast, 
to worship the one and true God. Well, now it's all gone. It's all gone. It's more fully described in Revelation 17 and 18. It's all gone. They're in darkness. All they have now are their pains and sores and nothing to worship. Sixth bowl. Verse 12, And the sixth angel poured out his bowl on the great river Euphrates, and its water was dried up to prepare the way for the kings from the east. The, the Euphrates River is a massive river. It's 1,700 miles long. It's, uh, the head of the river is Mount Ararat in Turkey, and it's paired with another river, the Tigris, Tigris River, that flows down through the Mesopotamian Valley, and it's very fertile. Millions of people resource life from there. Interesting side note, I, I looked into the Euphrates River, Currently, they're in the worst drought they've experienced in 70 years. And they're talking about it being a critical place, critical, critical, critical time for millions of people that will probably be displaced to some other location, moving perhaps towards the Jezreel Valley, getting positioned and ready. I don't know. But what's going to happen is God's going to dry up this river. Why is he drying up this river? It's so that all the armies of the east can move into and have access to the Armageddon, uh, place of Armageddon. But there's something else that's happening as well during this dry up. We read it in verse 13. And I saw coming out of the mouth of the dragon and out of the mouth of the beast and out of the mouth of the false prophet three unclean spirits like frogs. This is a satanic trinity. For they are demonic spirits performing signs who go abroad to the kings of the whole world to assemble them for the battle on the great day of God the Almighty. So these demonic forces are set loose with signs and wonders to deceive the kings, the armies, so that they are deceived and they believe that they can come in and take on the king in battle. So they're not only given the access through the drying up of the Euphrates River, but now they are given the motivation through the satanic trinity to walk right into Armageddon. You know what? We've been in that bitter place for the past few minutes. But throughout the book of Revelation, there's been these blessings, blessings, blessings to assure God's people and we come across that right here in verse 15. Behold, <laughs> I'm coming. I'm coming like a thief. And he says, this is Jesus, says, Blessed is the one who stays awake, keeping his garments on, that he may not go about naked and be seen exposed. What is he saying? He's saying, with the, the, he's speaking very much like he was when he spoke uh, of the parable of the ten virgins. There were 10 that were ready when he came. They had their lamps ready, full of oil. Their, the, the, the wicks were trimmed and ready. And there were, there were five that were ready and the five that were not. Be ready. He says, behold, blessed are those who are ready. And for us, what we're looking forward to is the snatching away, the rapture. When he comes and takes his church, his bride home, and it's the same admonition, the same encouragement, be watching, be looking up, be ready. He is coming, 
and he'll take you up and take you home, and you will forever be with the Lord. And for these tribulation saints, they're with the same challenge. There's the same blessing that they will have as well. The book of Revelation, um, what's interesting is it has seven different blessed are those. Blessed are those. The first blessing we saw in Revelation chapter 1, verse 3, when we read, blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy. And blessed are those who hear and who keep what is written in it for the time is near. Then the second one is in uh, chapter 14 and encouraging the tribulation saints to persevere and that they were blessed for how they lived and also blessed for how they died. And then the third one is the one that we just read. And you can do your own homework and and find the, the remaining four. But here's where we're at. We're right on that edge of the answer of prayer that we've been praying, thy kingdom come. Thy kingdom come is about to become a reality. Seventh bowl judgment. Pummeled earth. Verse 17. The seventh angel poured out his bowl into the air. And a loud voice came out of the temple from the throne saying, it is done. And there were flashes of lightnings and rumblings, peals of thunder and a great earthquake such as there had never been since man was on the earth. So great was that earthquake. The great city was split, that's Jerusalem, into three parts, and the cities of the nation fell, and God remembered Babylon the great to make her drain the cup of the wine of the fury of his wrath. And every island fled away, no mountains were to be found, and great hailstones, about 100 pounds each, fell from heaven on people, and they cursed God for the plague of the hail because of the plague that was so severe. It's as if God did this to the earth with the first seals, did this to the earth with the trumpet judgments, and does this with the earth with the bold judgments. There's such a paradox. I'll mention it again. Though through wrath... God is working to save sinners from his own wrath. Mercy admits judgment. While this is all going on, there were the two witnesses, do you remember? The greatest preachers ever, preaching and bringing about the greatest revival that will ever be on this planet during this period of time because of their faithful witness, taking the gospel to the end of the earth, We also had 144,000 Jewish evangelists taking the gospel throughout the earth during this period of time. We talked about just a few minutes ago the gospel preaching angel (laughs) preaching the gospel saying, worship him, worship him, worship him. And the question that comes to me while we're reading about the hardness of heart is this, why will you die? Jesus offers the way of escape. John chapter 3, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him will not perish but will have everlasting life. You remember, yes, 
You remember when Jesus Christ came to this planet to make full payment for sin? He hung on that cross. Why? So that the wrath of God on sin would be poured out on his own son. So that when that is completed, he says, it is finished. And for us, we respond in saving faith saying, thank you for paying the price for my sin so that I don't have to. Yes, I trust in you. I call upon you. I confess to you that I am a sinner and I need you to forgive me of my sins. I will worship you. We become a child of God. Or it is done. No, thank you. I will worship the beast, his image, his world, his way. I'm going with that. And the message is it is done. And when the words, it is done, is completed, there is no mercy anymore. It's done for eternity. So the question we have to ask ourselves is, have you become a worshiper of Jesus Christ? Have you become a worshiper of Jesus Christ? And I invite you to become a follower of Jesus Christ by calling upon him and say, dear God, dear God, I'm a sinner in need of your grace. Thank you for paying, my, paying for my sin on the cross that day so that I could follow you with my life. As followers of Jesus Christ, you remember I asked you a question. Are you disappointed with life? Are you disappointed with how things are going? Well, you need, and you're tired, you need to be reminded of this. Don't forget what lies ahead. Don't set your affection on things on this earth. Let's set our affection on things above. Let's sing together. desperate for help you know what it's like to be tired and only a shell of yourself you start to believe you don't have what it takes cause it's all you can do just to move much less finish the race
us But make no mistake, there's still more to come When our flesh and our bone are no longer between Where we are right now and where we're meant to be celebrating. That's something we can get excited about. Just have a few things. If you are new, thank you for coming. We have a free gift for you at our guest service counter. We'd love to just say thank you for being here. I have two things that I need to tell you. In two weeks, November 14th, we have child dedications. And if you're interested in dedicating your child to the Lord and want to learn more about that process, you can register at gracepointkitsap.com or contact Pepe, our children's director, at pepe at gracepointkitsap.com to find out more information. And the last thing is that Christmas is just around the corner. <laughs> it's coming way faster than we think. <laughs> and so we need your help. We need two, two people. We need one woman between the ages of 20 and 35 uh, to be an actor uh, for us, and also a child between the ages of 6 and 10. So if you're interested in learning more about that, uh, we have auditions coming up on the 13th. Uh, love to have you there. You can contact me at nash at gracepointkitsap.com. Remember, as you go about your week, to keep your heart captivated by the Lord. Amen. Have a wonderful week. God bless you all. Take care.